From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. We're broadcasting the program for the first time from the Faith and Freedom Chapel in front of a live audience. Well, coming up on this Friday edition, far from extending an olive branch to the Republicans over the debt ceiling as the deadline looms, President Biden poked Republicans in the eye again today. The last thing this country needs, after all we've been through, is a manufactured crisis. And that's what this is, a manufactured crisis. And that's what it is from beginning to end. It's a manufactured crisis driven by the magnet Republican economy. All right. Well, we'll discuss the status of the debt ceiling and why it is important with Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, a member of the Senate Banking Committee, as well as the Senate Armed Services Committee. And we reported yesterday that a group of Republican House members had sent a letter to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, inquiring about the Navy's drag queen ambassador. Well, 14 Republican senators have also sent a letter to Secretary Austin asking about the drag queen division. Well, we're going to talk about it here on Washington Watch. Also, President Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, was at the southern border today, reassuring everyone that they have the situation under control. So we've been preparing for quite some time, and we are ready. What we are expecting is indeed a a surge, um, and what we are doing is planning for different levels of a surge. That is what we do. Are you reassured? Well, we're going to talk about that with Congressman Nathaniel Moran a little bit later here on Washington Watch. On Wednesday, we had Kansas State Senator Renee Erickson on the program discussing the override of Democrat Governor Laura Kelly's veto of the Women's Bill of Rights, which in part defined what a woman is. Well, another Democratic governor is positioning himself to be overridden. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper has pledged to veto the legislation passed by the legislature that protects most unborn babies past the 12-week mark when they feel pain and they can be seen sucking their thumb. Well, the legislature has uh, teed up a bill that will protect children from the left's gender experimentation as well. We're going to be joined by the author of that bill, State Representative Ken Fontenot, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. Seven former defense secretaries have sent a joint letter to Republican and Democrat leaders in the Senate saying Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on military promotions over the Pentagon's expansive abortion policy is hurting national national security. Well, the former secretaries failed to call on the Biden administration to drop their expanded abortion policy. Rather, they set their sights on Senator Tuberville. Is their claim true? Well, we're going to discuss this and much more with our own general. Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin joins me later to talk all things defense. Our word for today comes from Daniel chapter 1. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish and good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Wow, 2,400 years later, the tactics are the same. Young, pliable, moldable children that can be indoctrinated and trained in the ways of Babylon. 
A person's worldview is formulated between the age of 15 months and 13 years. This is the reason for the unrelenting effort of the government to educate children at earlier and earlier ages. It's not a, it's not a benevolent act of the government to help parents. It is to train them in the ways of Babylon. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. With the deadline for a U.S. government default quickly approaching, leaders on Capitol Hill remain in a holding pattern until after Speaker Kevin McCarthy's meeting with President Biden at the White House this coming Tuesday. Now, the President insists he will not negotiate, but House Republicans backed him into a corner when they united to pass the Limit Save Grow Act, which raises the debt ceiling while also saving $130 billion in the budget. Now, this week, Business groups and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce urged President Biden to reach a deal with Republicans. Well, the question is, is he ready to negotiate? Is he listening? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Banking Committee and, as I mentioned, the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator Kramer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's good to be with you, although I'm hoping you can hear me. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you fine. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you, and uh, you teed it up perfectly. I mean, what, 65 or more percent of the American people think it's only reasonable that um, Joe Biden negotiate with the Republican majority in the House of Representatives? Um, my sense is that he understands that he's got to do that, and that, that this burden is really now on him, quite honestly, this burden of a potential default of our national debt. So, Senator, is, is, the, is the president playing chicken with uh, House Republicans here, you know, just refusing to sit down and meet in the middle? Well, Tony, my, I, what I always say about negotiations is if all or nothing is your beginning point, that's fine. But it can't be your ending point because an all or nothing ending point is oftentimes nothing. So, he, you know, this guy, you say what you want about Joe Biden, he's got a lot of experience in transactional politics. I would certainly hope that this isn't the time that he decides to play chicken with the, with the national debt. That said, I do think it's, it, people should have a clear understanding of how reasonable, really how reasonable Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans have been in their offering. They've actually passed a bill that would raise the debt ceiling. And yes, some of those conditions um, that go along with it are going to be hard for the, for the left to swallow, but boy, they're not exactly radical conditions. Things like, you know, a, a discretionary cap of 2022 spending as the new starting point, and then a small, what, 1% incremental growth throughout the next several years. Uh, Tony, I don't know, but 1% growth is not a cut. That's growth. Uh, some work requirements, modest work requirements for able-bodied people that are on government assistance programs. Again, why not help lift people up rather than, um, you know, keep them under the thumb of the, of the government? And then, of course, there's some permitting reform in their HR1 which enhances the economic opportunities which will grow the government coffers um, with some, some uh, refining of permitting in this country to build the things, and none of it's very radical. So I, I'm, I'm going to be optimistic, Tony. I'm always optimistic that, uh, that uh, Joe Biden's going to come to the negotiating table and that they'll find enough common ground to make a deal. Well, Senator, we're seeing kind of the, you know, the, the, the grandma in the wheelchair going over the cliff again, where th those types of, uh, you know, over-the-top language, when in fact, if you actually read what's been proposed, it's Congress that will determine where the money goes, 
This does not cut Social Security, does not cut Medicare, and, and it, it's, it's up to the Congress to decide how to spend the resources that we have available. Well, our Constitution is pretty clear on that point, um, for sure, Tony. And then the fact that, um, you know, that this play overplaying their hand all the time, this is what discredits them so often. I get, you know, in the early going, maybe a little political jabbing here and there. But, but then you got to get serious about it, remembering that Social Security and Medicare have been off the table for Republicans and Democrats for a long time. Now, I'm, I'm a Republican that thinks we ought to start dealing with it. We should have started dealing with it a long time ago uh, with regard to both the revenue side as well as the spending side of those mandatory spending programs because they're going to go, they're going to default, they're going to be, you know, defaulting themselves here in, in a few short years, at which point there'll be automatic budget cuts. But for this discussion and this purpose and this negotiation, they're off the table. We're talking about the discretionary side of the budget. So we've got to look out for national defense and uh, and then put some, some guardrails in uh, on the spending. That should not be an unreasonable thing. And by the way, Tony, I think it's really important for people to understand. You, a lot of people conflate um, uh, you know, a, a late raising the debt ceiling with a government shutdown. Raising, not raising the debt ceiling doesn't create a government shutdown. It just forces the government to only spend the money that they're taking in every day. What a novel approach that would be. And before people think that's going to be some catastrophic crisis, just notice we're in a crisis. We have high inflation, high interest rates. Um, we have open borders. We have a supply chain crisis that's, that's squelching uh, our economy, and we have an anemic economic growth, 1.1% for last quarter, probably heading to recession, uh, bank failures. We've got plenty of problems, and how about just staying within our means for a while? That might send a good market signal as opposed to a bad one that everyone else expects. Senator Kramer, we, we often see this, but in the, in the proposed or the spending that we saw put forward last month or, or last year, where they expanded uh, the tax credits for energy tax credits and, and all of this, now that's created a lobbying group that's lobbying for these, saying this is going to kill jobs. And this really tells us why, you know, government programs and spending never go away because they create these uh, constituencies that lobby for the continued spending, regardless of the fact that it's driving the nation further into debt. No, a very important point, Tony. Every time, yeah, you start a program, you start an incentive, you create some sort of a uh, financial incentive and it, it automatically creates a constituency if it didn't already have one, and that constituency becomes uh, a lobbying stakeholder. And, and I get all of that. But what person in business that's serious about business doesn't understand that we simply can't run up the nation's debt, individual debt, um, and, and then somehow they're going to be okay? Uh, ultimately, you've got to make a product that people want. You have to have a, a willing seller and a willing buyer. But if the willing buyer doesn't have any money, they, they can't buy it from you. So uh, it's often disappointing to me that corporate America turns so quickly toward government largesse rather than a good free market system. So how do you see this playing out, yeah. Senator Kramer? Yeah. So it's an important question because I, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I will say this for now. Republicans in the United States Senate are standing 100% with the Republicans in the United States House of Representatives and, and Kevin McCarthy. We are cheering him on. He knows we have his back. He has drawn the line in the sand. The ball is in, in Joe Biden's court. If the two of them don't agree on something, then they're not going to get the rest of us to agree on something. The way I think it plays out is that Joe Biden wakes up and realizes he's, he's, 
you know, he's playing chicken with the wrong guy, and it's time to, to roll up our shirt sleeves. Whatever they come up with, Tony, clearly isn't going to be something that every Republican loves, and it's not going to be something every Democrat loves. But we have a divided government, a wonderful opportunity to test this magnificent system that our founders gave us and find both common ground and then compromise. And when that happens, instead of having 218 Republican votes and, you know, 51 Democratic votes in, in the Senate and maybe nine, nine Republicans, I think what they're going to find is maybe there's a 180 Republican votes and in 80 Democratic votes, or maybe it's even split more evenly than that. And you're going to get a more durable outcome. And I think that's exactly what our founders had in mind when they put this system together. But we, we just have to, you know, we have to start getting our job done much, much sooner. We're coming up on this cliff, as you know, much sooner than anybody anticipated because Janet Yellen suddenly said, wait a minute, it's not going to be August 1st, it's going to be June 1st that we run out of money. And the reason for it, Tony, that one of the reasons she gave was that the revenue coming in on April 15th from income taxes wasn't what they expected. Well, imagine that. We're in a recession, we're in high inflation, and all the other things I said earlier, a supply chain challenge. And so um, we, need to get our, we need to get our entire economic ship in order. And I would add to that the, the regulations choking off business and Amen. economic growth. Amen. Senator, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Have a great weekend. Always my pleasure. Thank you, Tony. You too. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. On the other side of the break, the Secretary of Homeland Security was on the southern border today reassuring everyone that, hey, they've got this thing under control. Well, we're going to talk with uh, Texas Congressman Nathaniel Morat on the other side of the break. So a lot more Washington Watch still to come as we are doing this broadcast in the Faith and Freedom Chapel before a live audience. We're back after this. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday. Well, earlier today, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas, was at the southern border reassuring everyone that, hey, they've got it under control. This is what he had to say. Clip 14, please. I believe that this is the best thing for our state and our country. North Carolina has the opportunity to be. So we've been preparing for quite some time and we are ready. What we are expecting is indeed a a surge. um, And what we are doing is planning for different levels of a surge. That is what we do. Well, joining us now to talk about this and whether or not the Department of Homeland Security is, in fact, ready for this surge is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and on the House Education Committee, as well as the Judiciary Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me this Friday afternoon. So let me ask you, uh, are you confident that uh, Secretary Mayorkas and the Department of Homeland Security is ready for, uh, I'm I'm not sure how you describe a surge on top of a surge, but uh, are they ready for it? Uh, Certainly I'm not confident in what uh, Secretary Mayorkas says in any regard, because when he says we don't have a border crisis and we're not going to have a border crisis, I have to scratch my head because he must be looking at a different border than I'm looking at. So with the, the, the uh, military being staged on the border as well, President Biden this week sending 1,500 active duty troops in supportive roles, is this uh, just play acting or do you think the administration is getting serious about uh, addressing the crisis at the border? Tony, it really is play acting because if the administration was serious uh, about first admitting that there is an issue on the border and then doing something about it, they've got the tools in place and we've had the tools in place 
All they have to do is enforce the law. And unfortunately, the president and his administration simply does not want to do that. They don't want to enforce the law on the border. And I'm reminded from time to time of folks that you meet that, you know, they want to they want to try to come in and, and pretend like they're doing something when, in fact, uh, they're the ones that help create the mess that they're tr- pretending to fix. And in this situation, we know that's true because when we when we go from the years that President Trump was in charge, enforcing the law as it was on the books, and then we see the, the increase of numbers of illegal immigrants coming across our borders, a very porous border, over the past couple of years since President Biden took, up, took over, it's not a matter of do we have the right rules in place, but it's do we have the will to enforce those rules, and President Biden and his administration simply does not. This has fallen in large part to the states to uh, essentially secure their borders. I mean, Texas, uh, Arizona, uh, California, but in particular Texas and Arizona, uh, seeing a lot of the influx here, and the governor's taking on a lot of the role here. How do you see this playing out um, in, in assuming the responsibility? Who's, who's ultimately going to take control? The states are going to have no choice. And here in Texas for the past couple of years, uh, there's been lots of talk about do we actually look at the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, and say this is an invasion. And luckily our governor here, Governor Abbott, in the last year declared this is in fact an invasion across our borders. And can we now assume control of what otherwise should be a federal operation? And it should be. The Constitution makes clear that it should be a federal operation for us to secure our borders. But when the federal government is unwilling to do so, states have no choice. States like Arizona and Texas are the ones that are leading that way. But I can tell you here in Texas, I mean, we're talking about getting together a border force as part of our legislative session here in the state of Texas this year, because we recognize that there is a need to fill the gap where the federal government has failed over and over again. I want to switch gears for just a moment onto another issue. You serve on the House Education Committee. And uh, today, the uh, attorney general there in Texas announced that uh, he's investigating Dell Hospital uh, in, in Austin over uh, alleged activities of uh, transgender procedures being conducted on children uh, as young as eight and nine years old. But this is an agenda that's being pushed uh, through our education system, confusing children about their sexual identity. You know, we're seeing this in the Department of Education that ought to be focused on helping kids learn to read and write. When, when is Washington going to get its priorities straight? Yeah, we have really two basic problems here that are conflating itself. One is, what is the role of educational world? And it is to educate our students. It's not to indoctrinate our students with political uh, indoctrination from the left. And then we also have this uh, issue of immoral, um, uh, this moral relativism, that the un- unnatural state of, of our belief system that has gotten away from Judeo-Christian values. And somebody asked me about this the other day in an interview, and they said, I know that the transgender issue is complicated. And I stopped him and said, no, 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 it's not complicated. Uh, God created men and women. They're equal, but they're different. But God created them with very different physiologies and very different physicalities. And when we lose sight of the fact that we are creations of God and that God made us in his image, then we begin to create our own. And we see it now. We've almost lost sight of the fact that there are two genders and we're now, we're now creating a third and, and what's to stop us from creating a fourth or to say uh, that we can just determine for ourselves 
who we are and, and what our identity is. And truly our identity, our purpose, our belonging, it's all in Christ Jesus, but we have lost that here in America. Uh, Congressman, 30 seconds left. Uh, what is behind this agenda to confuse our children? Well, like I said, our identity, if we forget that our identity is in Christ Jesus, we don't, and we lose that, then we have to look somewhere else for our identity and our purpose and our belonging, and that is to the state. And then the state tells us who we are and what we should do and what we are to become and what our calling is. And none of that is true. The truth is Jesus Christ made us. He created our identity. He gives us our calling, and it's that calling we should pursue. Congressman uh, Moran, thanks so much for taking time on this Friday afternoon to uh, join us. Always great to talk with you. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. You know, I, I think he's absolutely right. Part, part of this is this has been created in the vacuum of pushing God out of our culture. And in particular, remember where it started? It started in our schools as the Bible prayer was pushed out of the schools. And so something had to fill the vacuum. And so I just remind you that this is, uh, you know, we, we wrestle in this political policy world, but it's spiritual at its heart. And we need to be praying and we need to be speaking truth into this realm. All right, folks, don't go away. Still a lot more Washington Watch to come. On the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by a North Carolina state representative as the state legislatures, the Republican ones, are overriding Democratic governors left and right on issues like life and uh, this whole gender confusion that we've been talking about. Stick around. More to come. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Washington Watch, good to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. No, normally, uh, Jody Heiss is uh, filling in for me on Fridays, but I have the honor of being here 
this uh, Friday as we're broadcasting for the first time from the Faith and Freedom Chapel in front of a live audience that you're hearing, supporters of the Family Research Council. All right, well, after passing legislation earlier this week to protect the unborn, the North Carolina House of Representatives followed up with House Bill 808, which protects children from transgender procedures. These are minor children. Republicans hold a veto-proof supermajority in the state legislature, so once legislation passes the Senate, as expected, Republicans are poised to override the governor's veto, just as they plan to do with the pro-life measure, Senate Bill 20, which the Senate passed yesterday by a vote of 29 to 20. GOP leaders in the state are emphatically uh, responding to the wishes of the North Carolinian North Carolinians who voted them into a supermajority. Joining me now to discuss this is State Representative Ken Fontenot, who represents the 24th District of North Carolina. Uh, Representative Fontenot, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. I certainly appreciate it and uh, really enjoy the work that you all do. Well, I appreciate that. And congratulations on uh, passing this through the House. I know you played a key role in the accomplishment of both these bills, on the, the pro-life bill and then this bill protecting children from these gender experimentation procedures that uh, many are on the left are pushing. Now, the, it's interesting that the citizens of North Carolina voted for a Republican supermajority. How does this legislation reflect the values of those in North Carolina? I, I think what we're seeing is a return to common sense and decency. Because when you look at what's happening to these children, it's nothing short of predatory behavior. You know, in short, we can look at Europe, who's several years ahead of us in their trans procedures, having administered puberty blockers and gender reassignment surgeries longer than we have. And they are releasing official government, government mandates and medical uh, guidance to say that these things should be used as a last resort in the most extreme cases. And what's sad is that in the US, we're using it as a first resort. And so what I think about how this, we were brought forth to do things like this, I just think people want to come back to decency, common sense, and actually caring for the vulnerable is what I'm seeing. Some of the opponents of this, uh, the Democratic opponents, uh, opponents of this said, that uh, this, they call it gender-affirming care, is needed for minors. And they say, despite what the bill says, despite the, the words on the page, it's really about bigotry and a national trend to stigmatize transgender youth. Can you speak to that? I, you know, what I like to say is what you lack in substance, people will try to make up in pizzazz. And when you look at the idea that this is about bigotry. Well, you know, I come from a family of slaves. I come from a family that knows what racism is like growing up in the deep south in central Louisiana. It could be nothing further from the truth. Uh, in short, when you look at the research, you look at the words on the page, what is clear is that we are protecting children from predatory practices taking place within our medical establishment and really not even for the benefit of the kids. It's for the money that they're gonna make and also the experimentation taking place. And this has happened before in our country. And I made, made it clear in my floor remarks that we've seen this happen at least twice in the last 100 years. And this time we're gonna do something about it. 
I mean, you, you make a really good point because what we've seen is that debate, there, there is really no more debate in this country over ideas and over policy. There's just these, uh, you know, these buzzwords, these talking points that are totally disconnected from reality. The, the fact that this bill is very clear in, in what it does, they say, oh, it doesn't matter what it says, this is about bigotry. So they just assign motives, but in, in many ways they're just projecting their own motives. Yes, and, and that's what you see. You know, if you ever listen to the floor remarks, uh, we record everything, and that's what you'll have. You know, so far, I've engaged with almost every detractor via email as well as on the floor, and no one has answered the statistics we quoted. No one has answered the fact that Europe has been rolling these, uh, these procedures back, and no one has answered the biggest elephant in the room, and that is Europe is now... Uh, advising their countries that in over 80% of the cases that if you just give these children mental health care through their puberty years, that after puberty, in over 80% of the cases, gender dysphoria uh, symptoms right. are reduced greatly and right. usually dissipate. And, 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 and for people who don't have an agenda. And no response to that. They, they, they completely no. ignore I, I thought the, I thought these people were about science. No, they're not about science. They're not about statistics. And that will be blatantly and obviously true when you engage with them. And you use science and statistics. Uh, but I guess that's why I love my job. I, I, tr I truly believe truth stands on its own. And when you present truth, they can say a lot of things, but they will not talk about what you said. And I think um, I'm seeing a lot of positive feedback from even the people on both sides. So they'll try to make it look like the LGBT crowd is unified on this, and they're not. For as many are for it, there are against it, which lets us know we shouldn't be doing this because there is no consensus, especially since it's so dangerous and risky. Uh, Representative Fontenot, we're up against a great uh, break. Uh, very quickly, 20 seconds. What's next for your bill? Uh, next, it'll be in the Senate, where our Senate counterparts, uh, Senator Heiss, will be leading it through there. We hope to strengthen the bill on that side and come out with a better product in the long run, but I'm interested and excited to see what happens. All right. Uh, State Representative Fontenot, thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. And again, thank you for uh, your important work. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. All right, folks, uh, stick with us. After the break, we're going to be back with more Washington Watch. We're going to be talking about the drag queen division that the military is advancing with our own general, General Jerry Boykin, joining me. Don't go away. We're back after this. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this uh, Friday as we're broadcasting for the first time from the Faith and Freedom Chapel in front of a live audience of FRC partners and supporters. Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer continues to grandstand against Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville's principled stand to protect human life. Now, you'll recall that uh, the coach responded to the Department of Defense's illegal abortion policy, where they unilaterally changed it without congressional approval, by placing a hold on military promotions. Well, Senate scare leader Chuck Schumer claims that this stand for life is, quote, harming military readiness and risks damaging U.S. national security. Now, the part he leaves out is that the Department of Defense can change their policy at any time and simply go back to the way it was. And guess what? Senator Tuberville would remove his hold. So who's really harming military readiness? Joining me now to discuss this is FRC's Executive Vice President, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who spent the last 36, uh, spent 36 and a half years in the United States military, the last four years, as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He's also a founding member of the Army's Delta Force. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. It's good to be here in this uh beautiful place today. Well, it's good to see you. Let's, uh, let's start with this. A lot to talk about. A lot happening in the military, actually, this week. Uh, but uh, Schumer uh, looks like he orchestrated a letter from uh, seven former defense secretaries, including two who served with Donald Trump, uh, saying that national security military readiness was being affected by Senator Tuberville's uh, hold on these military promotions. 
And essentially what they said, the letter said, was leaving these and many other senior positions in doubt at a time of enormous geopolitical uncertainty sends the wrong message to our adversaries and could weaken our deterrence. Your thoughts? That's the opinion of seven people. I disagree with it. And the reality is what uh, uh, Tuberfield is doing requires a lot of courage because he's almost standing alone on this issue. But he sees what's wrong with our military today that has been brought on by this administration with no consideration for how does this impact the readiness of our military. And if you can't say that it impacts the readiness in a positive kind of way, you need to change that policy. And, and as far as these guys go, it's people like Jim Mattis, who fought Donald Trump on the transgender issue until Trump eventually forced the issue and Mattis resigned. So that's the kind of people you have that signed that letter. So they're saying that they're making it sound like they're not saying they're making it sound as if well, you don't promote these people. You have <laughs> vacancies in the military and you have command posts that are not being filled. But that's not reality, is it? It's not reality at all. The reality is my last assignment, I was a three star, but I started that assignment as a two star. And because I was under investigation over something which was ultimately dismissed altogether. So I went in and I, as a two-star, I did a three-star job. You can do that. You can put somebody in those positions or you can stabilize the people that are in those positions for the good of the service, the good of the nation, because they did take an oath. Right. You know, and they, they are obliged. So they can do all kinds of things. And it's, it's not devastating. Okay, so let's talk about something else that I, I, I think may be more at the heart of affecting military readiness and uh, national defense. Play clip number 15, please. That first year in the Navy, I did not do drag. For like almost a year and a half when I first joined, I didn't do drag. I was learning to be a sailor. And after kind of getting back into it, I kind of almost refound my love in drag again because of the Navy. All right, so this week we had a group of Republicans in the House and a group of Republicans in the Senate sending a letter to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin saying, uh, what's up with the drag queens? Uh, the Navy has these digital ambassadors that are actually using TikTok, which is banned by government agencies, as uh, you know, trying to do an outreach. Of course, we also have, uh, we, we, we have members of the Biden administration saying this was not about recruiting. I'm going to play uh, this uh, clip, clip number uh, 17. The program I believe that you're referring to was the Navy Digital Ambassador Program, which was a pilot outreach effort. It was not a recruiting effort. Uh, for more information on that, I would direct you to the Navy. Um, but this pilot program has concluded. And the Navy is evaluating the program and how it ex exists in the future. So it's, it's an outreach program, but not a recruiting. What are you outreaching for? Tony, this, th th this is more of the nonsense that we get out of this administration when we are concerned about very serious things. I, I, I can't even watch that. I mean, I saw it earlier today on the computer, and I can't even watch that. The Navy is trying to expand. They're trying to grow the Navy. They're trying to add another 5,000 people to the Navy. But they, they're going to come up about 1,600 people short of their recruiting goal this year. Does any of that have any logic whatsoever? 
that they come up with that kind of nonsense and thinking that that's going to help recruiting. And the reality is they're going down, not up, in their recruiting. I mean, you've got the Chinese Navy that's launching aircraft carriers, destroyers, and our Navy working on pronouns and drag queens. And the Chinese Navy is the largest Navy in the world today. And the Chinese have surpassed us in so many other areas, yet we are focusing on this woke agenda at the expense of having our young men and women, America's blood, uh, ready to go to war when that war comes. And our enemies are growing in terms of strength as well as tenacity. And uh, this is, uh, this is for a guy like me, this is, this is just makes me distraught to see what's happening to our military. Uh, Senator Tuberville, in, in responding to the, the claims that his hold on uh, these promotions was affecting the military and its readiness, you know, he pushed back on that in a recent op-ed pointing to these drag queens and others as this is the military's Bud Light moment. Yeah, it is. I, I, you know, this, hopefully this kind of thing, when people look at these ads like we just saw there, People have to be disgusted, but they also have to be concerned because what is, what's our military supposed to be made up of warriors? And that is not a warrior that we're showing on this. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I'll leave it at that. The, the, um, but, but I, but I want to talk about the agenda behind this. You see, I think this is intentional, not just to, to make the military, uh, you know, woke, but I think it is to make it toxic to the conservative Christian young man and woman that disproportionately has historically filled the ranks of our military. When you look to see where military uh, enlistees come from, is generally from the Midwest, the South, those that have a higher representation of faith than not. Because they understand what Jesus said, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. But what happens if you completely eradicate an environment or actually make that environment hostile to people like that? They won't come. And then what do you end up with? A bunch of mercenaries. That's what you wind up with. You wind up with a mercenary army. If that they don't have controlled. something to fight for, if they don't believe in something. I told a young man here last night, his mother said, what would you say to him as he gets ready to go out into life? And I would say, know what you believe, but more importantly, know why you believe it. And if you don't have a reason to fight, you're nothing but a mercenary. And that's what has separated America from so many of these third world countries. America, America's youth have stepped up after taking that oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, they've stepped up and risked their lives for this nation. So there, there's two, I think, very obvious problems with a mercenary-minded force. Number one, it, you know, I, I, th I think of uh, I think of the Book of Nehemiah, when when Nehemiah gave the rallying cry, "Fight for your homes, your sons, your wives." You know, fight for the things you care about, the things that matter in this life. And if you're a mercenary, you don't have that. You fight for remuneration. You fight for uh, gain. You make your own rules. That's the thing. 
As a mercenary, you make your own rules because there is no uniform code of military justice that tells you what is acceptable and what is not. And that is a dangerous situation. But it also, a mercenary force is easily controlled. And in, in, in generally speaking, they have, uh, they lack the moral, the, the moral compass that keeps them headed in the right direction. I mean, you think about what it would be uh, to have a military force that is equipped with the latest, greatest technology that has no moral foundation. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but let's be clear, when you say they're easily controlled, in the big picture, they're easily controlled. But when I say they make their own rules, this is where you get the war crimes. This is all about how they execute a, a military operation. I, yes, I agree with that. My, my point on the easily controlled is the the, the Constitution and the boundaries in which oh, yeah. our military operates on, if they are told to go beyond that or do things that yeah. um, are, you know, are anathema to the way of American They're thinking. illegal. Right. International law. Yeah. And that, I think, puts not just the world in a uh, dangerous position, but that puts America and our freedoms in a dangerous yeah. place. And, and, and just ask yourself, look at the uh, Ukraine situation, and for the last 450 days or whatever it is, uh, the Russian soldiers have been committing atrocities. Right. Now, that's with a, you know, a nation that they are allegedly fighting for. But the reality is they have no foundation, no, no spiritual foundation. They have no moral foundation, and they are out there executing war crimes. Right. Well, I, I'll, I'll be very, stra very straightforward. I, I'm concerned about if we build a military that lacks that moral foundation where we have made it toxic for people of faith, and all we get are mercenary-minded, that same military can be used against us as Americans. Just like the IRS has been used against us, the CIA, the DIA, and the FBI, that's the government turning our own infrastructure against us. And the, 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 the thread that runs throughout all of those agencies and what you just described is the expunging of faith and making it a, uh, an environment that is outright hostile to faith. So uh, that brings us back to a question that you and I often get. And that is, given the military and, and where it stands, should our sons and daughters join the military? And you and I have talked about that. We've, uh, I wouldn't say we've debated it, but we've had some very frank conversations about that. Well, I, I will tell you, and you know very well, that I'm very conflicted on this issue. On the one hand, I know that if the people of, with a moral foundation, Christian, don't come into the military, then we will have that mercenary army that we were talking about earlier. At the same time, if they are not solid in what they believe and they don't, and they don't know why they believe it, they're, going to, uh, they're risking going to the other side. My response, I agree with you. Uh, my response is to these parents that ask this question, well, if you'll, spend them, if you'll send them to a public college, 
uh, then you should be prepared to send with the military. But they need to be prepared no matter where you send them. They need to be equipped with a biblical worldview, understanding, as you said earlier, why they believe, what they believe, and why they believe it so that they can defend it. And I think more than ever we need to be sending men and women into Law, domestic law enforcement, to the military, to every aspect of government that have a bold, courageous, biblical understanding of truth and will stand for that. Young men like Jacob Kersey over in Georgia who would not back down over putting a, a Facebook paste, uh, post over what marriage is. That's the kind of young people we need to be generating, and that falls to us as parents to be doing that. And I'll say this one thing. We also need to understand that this requires leadership to turn this around. Yeah. We can't let this go on without fighting it. Yeah. It requires leadership. That starts at the ballot box. And it's not just President of the United States who, by, according to Article 3, is the Commander-in-Chief. It is about those down-ballot names that are on there that could be very supportive of the military. Right. It could be on one of the military committees. And we need to make sure we get out and vote, and we vote right. Well, and it goes all the way down to the school board so that we yeah. have, uh, we're, we're stopping this indoctrination that's taking place of our children that are, uh, you know, being made comfortable for this woke agenda. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, General, I want to thank you for joining us on this Friday. Grateful to you for your service to our country and for continuing to speak out for freedom and for what is right and what is true. Thanks, Tony. And again beautiful place you have here. It is. We are blessed. And I want to thank our live audience who joined us today for this edition of Washington Watch. And of course, I want to thank you folks as well for being a part of our audience. I want to encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. And if you're not yet joining me for our daily Bible devotional, as we take this two-year journey through the Bible, you can do that every morning, 8.44 a.m. Eastern Time at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. Stand on the Word. All right, until next time, I hope you have a great weekend, and you'll take encouragement from the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.